And I remember this person, after 30 seconds, walk out of the room, invited their CEO and a couple of other people say, you've got to see this, you've got to see this. And I just remember thinking, okay, this is something. That's Sammy, the founder of Trulia. They raised over $250 million and eventually were sold to Zillow and Verta Health. They raised over $370 million. That was the moment when he knew that they hit product market fit with Trulia. I wanted to understand how they got there. Common trend with Unicorn Founders, they start with a problem statement that's so simple a child can understand it. What the internet had done for finding your spouse with Match.com, flight ticket, Expedia, Hotels.com, that is going to happen in every sort of traditional classified category. Second thing, they go all in. He denied an offer at McKinsey where they had already given him a sign-on Bonus and he actually had to send the check back. You need to burn the life bonds. You don't want to be dating someone, so let's get married, but I'll have three other boyfriends or girlfriends on the hopper. You don't want to start a company and say, oh, I have two other ideas, some kind of no, 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 no. And it's an incredibly clarifying, relaxing feeling. This is the final piece. Be honest about your customer discovery and your growth. Too many companies make this mistake. Like, oh, a week over week growth is 18%. A month over month growth is 65%. And I really don't care about that much at all because unfortunately, that is too easy to engineer we did not have money to fake product market fit we're on a mission to help founders hit product market fit faster we do this by interviewing founders that have been there i'm your host adam o'donnell this podcast is put together by zendesk for startups we offer six months free of zendesk customer support suite for qualified product oriented companies Sammy, so excited to have you on Sit Down Startup Founder Podcast, sharing your story, building two companies, Trulia and Verda Health. I'm just, they're two different examples of product market fit, but I'm excited to go under the hood. Before we do that, like, can you just kind of give us an overview of where you grew up and kind of wh where you were before you were in this whole game of, of being a founder? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much, Adam, for, for having me here. So yeah, very briefly. I am actually an immigrant to, to the U.S., so I grew up in Finland on a farm, uh, and my parents did not even go to high school. So uh, the fact that I'm, I'm in America and Silicon Valley and building companies is kind of a miracle. So I grew up on a farm, but I think two things happened that kind of pulled me out, out of the farm and eventually got me to, to the States. One is that Somehow I, I got my hands into a Commodore 64 um, in, in 1980s. So I got very interested in computers at a very early age, uh, despite the fact that, you know, I was living on a farm and we had chickens and pigs and, you know, picking potatoes from the field. So had nothing to do with um, digital or computers. So, but that, but that was one thing that I, I got my hands into a computer very early. And then a second thing was that I, I was lucky in that I was naturally gifted in math and science always. So I ended up studying physics, did master's in physics, started my career, career in, in a nuclear power plant. In fact, that was my first real job. So that kind of pulled me out of the farm. And then I had this tool in my back pocket, which was computers. Uh, and so when you combine those two things, uh, got out of the farm and started my first software company in, in Finland and, you know, kind of rest is history. I wanted to really come to Silicon Valley because to me, that was the you know, actors and actresses want to go to Hollywood. Um, hockey players want to go to NHL and, and entrepreneurs want to go into Silicon Valley. And my dream came true and I came to America 2003. So that's a little bit of background. That is really cool. Tell me about that decision to go to just stay in Finland and keep building great companies or go to Silicon Valley. What, what were the fears that you were weighing at that time? Well, actually... 
I was so obsessed and excited about this idea that if I could somehow get to America and Silicon Valley, that I was doing no analysis. There was no, oh, this is a fear or, or that that is a fear. I was just so excited about this idea that uh, maybe somehow I, I can I can make it happen. But quite frankly, so this was 2000, uh, sort of one, 2002. It wasn't that easy, at least at the time. There weren't, you know, uh, incubators that you could apply to or... You know, there weren't all the blocks that you could read and figure out how do you network yourself into into the tech circle. So the way in which I actually ended up getting to America, may I say legally, um, was uh, Stanford Business School. So I went to grad school at Stanford. So that's how I got into America. But frankly, I was just eyes wide open, excited. Uh, I didn't analyze or think about risk. I just wanted to come here and I'm, I'm glad it worked out. It sounds too easy, but I, I assume if you got into Stanford, I'm just curious if there's like, what would you say to a founder who is in Finland right now? Maybe your old self, uh, maybe the Stanford isn't the option, but they're still con considering coming. Like, is there anything like you would say to any, any concerns that they might have? Yeah. Well, well, I would say, first of all, two things. One is actually Finland is a phenomenal place to grow up, free education. There's now, uh, you know, very successful tech companies. They're starting to be early stage funding. So to some extent, you can, not just to some extent, it's entirely possible to, to start a successful uh, company in, in Finland. So that's, I would say, that's one thing. The second thing is, it's never easy to leave your home country and go to a new culture. But I would say that today, you know, there's people like me who grew up in Finland. I'm in America. Um, there are many or number of successful entrepreneurs who've left. So maybe there's a way to wiggle yourself, uh, network to to folks that come from your country. There's uh, tech incubators, there's VCs, there's angel investors who have European roots. Uh, you know, there's a big tech conference um, called Slush slush in in helsinki every year so so there's uh platforms and groups and uh different ways in which you can sort of uh more easily bridge yourself from europe or finland to to silicon valley these days so i would definitely take advantage of those that's so cool well uh moving right along here before you get to your journey of product market fit um could you tell us just a low moment in your career that really like kind of just what happened uh, and how you kind of moved forward from that. Cause I, I think everyone always hears the up and to the right. We always see the highlight reel, but I know that's not the whole truth. Oh, well there's, well, first of all, there's micro moments every day, every week, every month. And, you know, life is always complicated. Like, you know, currently I'm a father of two little girls, six and eight year olds married. I travel a lot and it's just like every day is, is not the Instagram reality, but um, let's say, let's see, uh, maybe I'll mention um, uh, two. Uh, one was when I was running my very first software company. I was I was uh, engaged uh, to a girl in Finland, and I remember one summer, um, this little software company happened to have business in Hong Kong and Singapore, which sounds crazy. But I remember that we had to go and make something happen in, in Southeast Asia. And we were like 20, 25 employees. And only me as, as a co-founder could go and kind of 
fix and do that thing. And I remember it was like June in the summer, you know, I had my lovely fiance and girlfriend and I'm like, gosh, I just need to go to airport, go to Hong Kong. I don't know when I'm coming back. It may take a month or two months or three months or four months. And I just, my my heart was literally breaking when I was in a taxi on my way to airport. I'm like, oh my God, is this the right, like, like th- this trade-off just feels way too big and my, my heart's breaking here. Now, obviously that was easy. I didn't have kids and, and so forth, but I just remember emotionally, that was one of those, like, what is the right decision? Am I really flying, going, and maybe I meet, have to be there for two or three months? And meanwhile, I have a very kind of important relationship and I, I'd like to be be with her. So it's emotionally, that's one of from, you know, that's 20 plus years ago now. Uh, <laughs> Man, I bet that was, I bet that was so hard. And, and were you able to, you, you chose to balance it um, just like, I, I'm curious, like how how you kind of moved and how how you look back on that decision. Um, I don't know if it was the right decision. Now, obviously, I I ended up heading to the airport and you know left, uh, went to Southeast Asia, and I was there for actually a couple of months before before I I came back. But it felt very painful. And then I'll give you another example. Um, uh, and this kind of touches the founding moments of truly uh, the company I started yeah. before my current company, Verta Health. I was coming out of Stanford Business School. Um, I had uh, about $100,000 in actual debt. So my net worth was just about minus $100,000. Maybe I had a couple of hundred bucks on, on my uh, checking account at the time. So I'm coming out of Stanford Business School. Um, and I was in the process of starting truly with a classmate of mine, Pete Flint, and, you know, we had no angel funding. We had nothing other than like a little prototype. And But we were super excited. You know, it's a May 2005. We're coming out of grad school. And I really, really, really wanted to start the company. But I literally had absolutely no money. And we had not raised any capital for this company. So there was no way of paying our, our salaries. And on top of that, I had also signed a letter to sign McKinsey and Company, this consulting firm right after business school. So they had given me a $10,000 kind of like a signing bonus ahead of time, which, of course, I had already used. So so long story short, it's May 2005. I know there's three months after which I, I need to join McKinsey. I really want to start the company, but I absolutely, totally have no money. Um, not to even pay my rent the, the following month. And I was like, but I want to do that. So I called McKinsey. I said, I'm, I'm so sorry. I've decided to start a company. I'm, I'm actually not coming. And, you know, obviously I was nervous about the call, but they said, no worries. Just send us the $10,000 check back. And so here I am. Net worth is minus $100,000. On top of which I have to find $10,000 of cash right now. On top of which, you know, I have to pay rent next uh, next month and we have no angel funding. I'm like, and obviously I didn't even have a, you know, visa secured for multiple years. I'm like, what, like, how do I, how do I get out of this mess? Well, the, the spoiler alert is luckily my co-founder, uh, Pete, had, had a little cash in savings. So he literally gave me a loan to pay back McKinsey and then a little bit cash to kind of, keep me afloat in San Francisco, which is not the cheapest place. Um, and then I paid him over two years. I think it was, I don't know, something like uh, $580 a month I, I paid him. 
um the back to loan so anyway so that was uh, a very stressful <laughs> moment i'm 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 glad i made the decision but i just remember it was sort of scraping the bottom of the barrel to <laughs> stay above the water that is an amazing story. And I, I can't wait to continue on and like what happened, but how did you have that much conviction? And 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 being honest now, maybe looking back, was it conviction or was it just naivety? Um, I think it was somewhere in between actually those two. Uh, and there was some, you know, rationale in, in, in there or rational thinking, I should say. And I, I think it was the following, and actually this is the advice that I give to many aspiring entrepreneurs in, in their 20s who may have just come out of college, which is that your risk profile is never easier than, or sort of risk aversion is, is never lower than early in your career. So I was just thinking, what's the worst thing that can happen? And, you know, I was like 28, 29. So it wasn't like I was, I was a kid at the time. But I thought the worst thing that can happen is I just have to go back to the farm in Finland and, you know, stay at my mom's house at age 28 or 29. Um, so that's kind of how I was thinking. And then on the other hand, you know, it's an asymmetric bed. If this all the, this thing works out, I can live my dream and build something in Silicon Valley. And, and this is probably the opportunity in a sense that there's nothing else to lose i don't have a mortgage i don't have a spouse i don't have kids like literally the only thing i have is me and i was healthy and i figured you know i have a good enough brain that i'm always going to find a job so that was my thinking and this is actually my advice to any aspiring entrepreneur that because people are always weighing should i take a job should i do this i'm like if you are 22 or 25 or 28 and you have no responsibilities in life other than yourself, it will never, ever get easier to make that leap and take the first step. So take the first step now. And that was basically my my own thinking there. That is great advice. During that time when you're deciding, was, was there ever a time where you actually considered to go with McKinsey? I'm assuming there was if you were, if you, spent the 10k so something changed to get to that enlightenment yeah i i think the so there were two sort of very rational thoughts that smart people were giving me uh early 2005 and it was the following one why don't you and by the way i had worked for mckinsey a little bit in finland so it was kind of going back to the silicon valley office one advice was why don't you work there for a year or two you kind of establish yourself put some money in the bank Maybe you even get a green card to so just work there a couple of years. There's like, there's no harm done. Like it's, it's good. Then you can have the rest of your life to be an entrepreneur. So that was one very rational advice, but I actually think it's very bad advice because then you get hooked into the heroin, which is your career, your money, your kind of, you know, whatever. And it's very hard to step up if you're making a couple of hundred K a year, you've got a nice car, you have a house, you have maybe you even have more kids or whatnot. Again, you know, it becomes even harder to jump away and say, I have nothing, I have no funding, and I have no idea if this company is going to go anywhere. It's way harder. So that was the one piece of advice. The second piece of advice was very practical, which was me and my co-founder were immigrants. And every uh, lawyer we spoke with said, there's no way you can sponsor a professional work visa for yourself in your own company. 
you have to go to another company and get you know green card and and then maybe uh you can kind of start your own company so that was the advice and you know happy to elaborate on, on that if you want but we were able to actually sponsor visas for ourselves through a company that only existed in a drawer literally wow. against the guidance of immigration lawyers in america which um anyways it's yeah that well that that is amazing and i i love i just like the confidence that you had to just keep moving forward is amazing and the perspective that you had and but it sounds like you, you were making you were weighing you knew what you were doing you didn't just like do it on a whim like you considered the options and said we're going all in and so i with trulia i'm curious like going to the product market fit journey the way i want the way i like to unpack this is to like start with the moment when you were confident and that you actually hit product market fit or I guess that you would even say like looking back, because sometimes you hear founders saying we thought we hit it, but we hadn't. And then later on we did. So like the moment that you actually hit it, if you could like tell me about that moment. Yeah, I will absolutely. Before that, I will just add one thing about this sort of confidence analysis. There is one thing that I, I think is very important. If you care about something and you believe that you want to do something, I believe it's very important to burn the lifeboats, mm. burn the lifeboats. So you absolutely have no choice than to keep swimming. And obviously you don't want to make, take a risk that's, you know, puts your life on the line, but sort of professional decisions, life decisions, you know, life partner, your spouse, for that, you need to burn the lifeboats. You don't want to be dating someone. So let's get married, but I'll have, three other boyfriends or girlfriends on the hopper. You don't want to start a company and say, oh, I have two other ideas. I'm kind of, no, 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 no. You have to burn the lifeboats. And it's an incredibly clarifying, satisfying, and relaxing feeling where you're like, there's no plan B. There's no plan B. This is it. And we're going to figure it out. And it's mm. incredibly helpful. I think too many people like hate their bets and in too many things in life. And, you know, the first obstacle that comes, you know, comes along, you're kind of like, okay, well, maybe I'll just go to the plan B and plan C. Anyways, so, I, so that aside. <laughs> that, is, that is amazing. I love how you use the word relaxing to describe what a lot of people would be like burning in lifeboats. There's no way to get off this island. This is it. We're all in. But you're like, <laughs> it's, it's relaxing. It sounds like because you didn't, there's no decisions to be made but just figure it out yeah it's it's, it's liberating Li liberating and relaxing um so to to the product market fit i i would say it happened in in there were sort of two key moments and the first one was more like intellectual uh the second one is is the real product market the, the intellectual was one was around 2004 when uh pete my co-founder and and myself we were thinking about starting an online real estate marketplace, it became very clear to both of us that what had what the internet had done for other kind of quote-unquote classified categories, such as finding your spouse with match.com, finding your flight tickets, hotels, Expedia, hotels.com, finding your car, you know, I think there was auto buy tell, cars.com and so forth. That is going to happen in every sort of traditional classified category that you would go to newspaper and keep fl flipping classified ads. 
However, in residential real estate, that sort of a consumer first destination did not exist at all. Uh, the market was dominated by the Century 21 and the Goldman Barnacles and Sotheby's of the world. So it was very clear on an intellectual level to us that <clears throat> over the next decade or so, and consumer first internet destination or marketplace must and will emerge. We should be that. So that was on an intellectual level. And uh, we became very convinced that, that that should happen and will happen. Um, then the second piece. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to just park on that for a second. Cause you, yeah, this is like, this is the realization that this has to happen. I'm only, I'm curious because I think in those moments, it would have been easy to say like, well, there's a reason it hasn't happened yet. I know it's easy to look back and say, of course it's going to happen knowing what we know. But like in that moment, I'm sure there's industries that were like, Hey, look, it happened here. Therefore it has to happen here, but it doesn't always work out like that. Is there any, um, is there any advice that you'd say around like how you, knew that there was something wrong or like the way the reason it happened happened had you studied that at all yeah there were structural reasons why it had not yet happened and and and, and the industry not consumer first uh, destinations had 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 some play in the game and the reason the structural reason in the residential real estate industry was the um the sort of dual broker system and the existence of the multiple listing services so mls which were effectively database local databases of of properties which didn't ex exist for finding a, a date or spouse or cars or travel tickets so it's a little bit different and we could spend an hour talking about the structural difference and how then that helped or hindered our, our path but i think that was the reason why residential real estate was a few years behind these other categories that I mentioned. But back yeah. to your question, um, th the moment when we felt, oh my God, we have a nugget of product market fit here. How do we make this consumer first? Again, this sounds so like 1980s because here we are 2023, but and the younger listeners don't even remember this. There was a time on the internet when everything was kind of like, we take a newspaper and put it on, on the internet, kind of like Craigslist, it's listings. And the one thing that we take for granted today, which is interactive map, like Google Maps or Apple Maps, that did not exist. That absolutely did not exist. So Google Maps had just launched and around 2003 for a few folks, including us, we did what was called mashups at the time, mashups. So we would sort of hack, hack, quote unquote, hack without an official API into the Google Maps. And we would put in properties for sale on the map as pins. And again, this sounds very 1980s now, but this was like a huge innovation that you could have a map of, say, San Francisco. You zoom in Noe Valley. Soma, and you literally zoom, zoom into the neighborhood level and you can see which properties for sale and so forth. We did that early 2005. And when we demonstrated it to consumers and also real estate agents who were kind of the other side of the marketplace, I just remember people went positively ballistic. They were just like, oh my God, I can't believe this. This is incredible and, and, and which again sounds funny here 2023 
Um, but I remember we were like, okay, this is the hook, one of the hooks in the consumer experience in a product market fit we can use to make the case that here is a consumer first. We want to give consumers the keys to the kingdom to really feel that they have uh, information <clears throat> symmetry with the real estate agents. And you can really research your neighborhood and see or the neighborhood where you want to move in. So anyway, so I think that was the one of the moments that we were like, whoa, if we are the first and we move fastest, and then we couple that with kind of, a, again, this is, I guess it's still being used today, search engine optimization, the realization that um, uh, people buy a home every five to six years on average in the States. So it's harder to create um the brand such as like Expedia, Hotels.com or Booking.com where you buy a ticket maybe once a week or once a month or once a quarter. So we knew that most likely the discovery of finding your home would start from a search engine. So you go to Google now and you say, um, say San Francisco, you say, um, um, you know, Marina Homes for Sale or New York, Upper West Side uh, Co-ops for Sale. And nobody had really dominated or cracked that code. So we were probably the first or one of the first companies that said, okay, we're going to have a stellar experience with an interactive maps, with these interactive maps. And then we can dominate the SEO game. So when you go and say Upper West Side Homes for Sale, bang, Trulia is the first. You click, you land, and you go, wow, I can't believe this experience. This is the best ever. I'm going to tell my friends that this is the... So I think those were the elements of product market fit that we figured out and honestly, probably fueled our growth for five, six years. Uh, that's amazing. We'll zoom into that even more, in, in, including like the months and maybe year leading up to it. Because I'm curious, was that realization after you turned down the McKinsey offer? Um. Yes, yes. Yeah. We, the, the, turning down the McKinsey offer was definitely... I made it with no visibility to my future. Let's be completely honest. And, <laughs> and no angel funding. And it changed pretty quickly, though. We had uh, this legendary, still legendary angel investor, Ron Conway, was one of the very first folks who, who actually, the very first was Kevin Hart. You may know as a founder of uh, Xoom and early PayPal uh, person and I've interviewed uh, him on a podcast actually. And, yeah and so Kevin wrote the very first $25,000 check which by the way paid my I think June or July rent that summer uh oh you know my rent was only a thousand bucks but uh Kevin <laughs> Kevin uh, got us up, up and running and uh kept my personal head above the water and then Ron Conway joined and a couple of others that summer that's that's amazing. We'll get a shout out to Kevin on that one. I had the pleasure of interviewing him on a personal podcast and really cool journey as well. Help me with how you made that connection of maps and having that interactive experience. Like, did you initially get there or how did you pivot to get to that? Uh, how do you, how did we people do that to get to the, the maps and the, the interactive experience? Exactly. Well, honestly, that was more or less the version one of of the site because <clears throat> we did not officially launch until I think it was September of 2005. And we had been sort of tooling around the different interfaces 
as an alpha version, if you will, and testing it with users from sort of April to to September. Um, and it, we it kind of it was literally those few months when the Google Maps launched, and we saw that some others had sort of hacked into the non-existing API, and we said, "Hey, we we should we should do that. Try to do that in in, in real estate." Um, but how did it come about? I honestly, you know, it's a matter of luck and it wasn't a business plan that, hey, Google's going to open up and create this interactive map platform. No, it wasn't. And if it didn't exist, I'm not sure if Trulia would be one of the two, obviously with Zillow now, it's the same company, but two brands, it's Trulia and Zillow are the, the dominant consumer destinations for residential real estate in, in the States. And if, if that map platform from google wasn't launched that summer i'm not sure that would be the case that that's a really humbling statement and <laughs> i i i appreciate that because there's a lot of really smart founders who do all the right things to hit product market fit and don't get there for things outside of their control um but but so take us to april of 2005 so i know i know i'm stretching you here and I, and so i appreciate your patience i'm i really just like i think there's a lot of founders who are in that moment of the April of 2005 before they've seen things and they're testing things with users. But I, I'm curious, like the more that we can learn about your mindset during that time, like what were you actually showing them and what were you hearing? And then how are you making adjustments? How many, how many did you have to hear? How confident were you in your adjustments or were you just kind of throwing stuff at a wall and trying a bunch of things? Yeah, that's interesting. So I, I guess your question is sort of when do you know, how do you know that you have a product market fit and how how, how did you get there? I think my, I'll say sort of uh, three things from that very truly experience. One is that I just generally think how and when do you get there? A simplistic statement. Companies only fail when the founders stop trying. Mm. Companies only fail when founders stop trying. And of course, you know, it, it requires stubbornness and belief that the the problem that you're trying to solve is real and there must be a way to to solve it. So so if you have a market and if you have a problem, there has to be some sort of a solution. And and so that's kind of the first thing that was in our mind, which was this will only fail if we stop trying. And we mm. felt in our bone marrow that the problem is clear. There is no consumer first uh, real estate destination uh, that empowers consumers with the information. So that was kind of fun, one one thing. And we just kept, kept trying. The second thing is we did not have money to fake product market fit. And I would say particularly, actually in both, B2B, but particularly B2C, direct-to-consumer things. You know, I see a lot of angel investment pitches where people approach me with money. Um, and oftentimes it's like, oh, a week over week growth is 18%. A month over month growth is 65%. And I really don't care about that much at all. Because unfortunately, that is too easy to engineer by throwing money into user acquisition. So we didn't have that. We couldn't like, hey, let's let's launch an interface or app or this or that, and then throw money and throw more money and kind of convince ourselves there's a product market fit when in fact we're just feeding the beast with sugar or in this case money. Um, so that was the second thing. We didn't have money, so it was all about we're showing something to someone. Um, 
whether it's in a one-on-one setting or group or just pulling it out there. Um, so that's the second thing I said. And the third one is um, you kind of know it when you see it. And I, I, I just leave it there. You kind of know it when you see it. When something's really taking off, like it should be pretty clear. And again, this is both art and science. I'm not, I'm a physicist by training, but I'm not going to be able to give you a number. And I'm sure some smart VC has a you know rubric to say if you say this, if you see this type of growth, then it's organic. You know, you've got the product market fit. But you kind of know when you see it, both in a B two B and 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 B two C setting. And I'll, I'll just give you one example here in my current company, Berta, which reverses type two diabetes. We have users, patients who have permanently tattooed this logo, which happens to be on my T-shirt, permanently tattooed this logo on their bodies. And so that's the kind of, you know, when you see it, like you can't fake that. There's something special. That is amazing. <laughs> I'm so intrigued by this. It's such a challenging thing. I The more founders I talk to, they're like, who haven't hit product market fit. They just... They're like, I still don't like the more I talk to people, it's like this like thing that everyone can articulate, but getting there and like even even you reversing how you got there is something that you can't exactly articulate, is what I'm hearing. Mm-hmm. I mean, just mm-hmm. because of the nature of it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. What were you showing them in April, by the way? Were you showing them the map with the pins? Um now I, I'm actually having a hard time recalling yeah. which month the Google Maps came about. But before the maps came about, we we showed like printouts of our user interface, the listings, which was more of a listing based to yeah. agents, some individuals. And then when the maps came about, we always tried to take our laptop and kind of show it live because you could kind of pan and zoom and move. Um, and I'm trying to remember, it may have been around May plus minus one month when the first map being, uh, but I just remember distinctly it was, there was a, um, there was um, one real estate brokerage firm called uh, Intero, Intero, I think in uh, in kind of Saratoga, Los Altos, that, that area in the South Bay. And, and we went to see their uh, VP of marketing. Uh, this was, obviously on the, on the industry side of the marketplace. And we showed them the interface. Um, and I remember this person after 30 seconds, walk out of the room, invited their CEO and a couple of other people said, you got to see this, you got to see this. And I just remember thinking, okay, this is, <laughs> this is something. And literally all we had was, you know, the user interface that you could play with. And, but again, it, it sounds so funny because here we are 2023 and, Everyone has a smartphone and you can do all the crazy stuff with uh, interactive maps and, you know, talk to them and whatnot. But at the time, we literally went from a new copy paste, almost like a newspaper PDF online to interactive map. You can see neighborhoods, you can click, see pictures of the property, zoom in, oh, this property is on this side of the street. That's another, it, it, it was a mind blowing experience to a lot of people. That. I, I I love that. And that's an example. Like you knew you were there. I I know we only have about five minutes left. My the last question around this, and then I'll let you re- I'll release you from it. But thank you for your patience because I, I think it just helps a lot of founders to get the details around these moments. Um, because they're they're just trying to break that ice. How many users per week were you talking to 
like around this time to get to that realization and maybe kind of how long were the interviews and how were you, how are you reaching out to them? Yeah, I, honestly, it's sort of a handful, like dozens. This wasn't okay. hundreds and these were in, in person uh, before we launched um, uh, publicly and it was kind of our beta launch uh, September when the website, the marketplace became available. And then of course it was much more quant. We were looking at traffic and drop bounce rates and, and stuff like that, that you can look at on, on a population level. But the the hand-to-hand combat of meeting people in person face-to-face was um, probably in like, you know, dozens of people a week. And mostly these were actually real estate agents because at the time our belief was that to build this marketplace, we need to satisfy the supply first, which turned out to be right because without content, you can't have the demand, the uh, consumers. And at the end of the day, you know, real estate agents are kind of consumers themselves as well. And we could tell, you know, from their reaction, whether the user interface and the experience was was exciting. So, yeah, it's probably dozens and, you know, not very un- unscientific, lots of uh, coffee shop meetings, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes um, a, a kind of uh, setup. That's amazing. Because I think when uh, you try to, we try to put a formula around this, like ask these exact questions and then this exact outcome. And that's not what I'm hearing. You're, you were just talking to people. And was it hard to get them to meet with you? Uh, actually not. I, I think if I remember right, we kind of leveraged the fact that, oh, I'm a Stanford student, which was true, reaching out. And, you know, a lot of people are kind of excited, like, oh, wow, this Stanford person, techie, you know, is willing to buy me a coffee and take 20 minutes to Starbucks and... I, I I found it very easy and exciting, actually. Um, you know, again, I was, you have to remember the context. I'm an immigrant in a Silicon Valley and like literally felt like living the dream, going into Starbucks with a bunch of printouts. And uh, yeah, here, here I am making magic happen, which obviously there was, there was no magic and there was nothing happening. But <laughs> I felt like this is it. I am, I'm like, uh actor in Hollywood. Uh, this is, I'm making it happen one printout at a time. That's amazing. Well, the last question is just, I mean, tell us about Verda because it's a different product market fit challenge. It wasn't the discovery piece. Yeah. So, so Verta is, is a telemedicine company on a mission to reverse type two diabetes in hundred million people. So reverse type two diabetes in hundred million people. And we achieve it Without pharmaceutical, without the, you know, everybody has heard about Ozempic now and these other GLP-1 drugs. So we do it nutritionally and, um, you know, traditional with traditional diet and exercise programs have failed because they rely on hunger and cravings. We use nutrition in a way that we actually eliminate hunger and cravings. So we've seen phenomenal results take people who've had diabetes for 10, 20 years get them off of insulin, get their blood sugars down to a normal range. So effectively reverse type 2 diabetes. Uh, so, so that's what we do. And, and business model wise, it's it's everything we do is free for our patients because we go to insurance companies and large employers like United Airlines or UPS, and they pay for it because they obviously pay for healthcare costs. And for them, it makes both economic and clinical sense because Type 2 diabetes and the drugs that are used to treat symptoms of, of diabetes are very expensive, like insulin. So when we reverse it, 
we save them a lot of money and at the same time we also save a life or improve a life so so that's what we do and um yeah we are we're still kind of a pre-ipo private company um raised 300 million plus and about 500 employees and, and on a good ramp but very different from uh truly uh, other than technology plays a key part of it but very different industry uh, you know the outcome obviously is, is changing and improving lives and and very very different industry much more regulated obviously healthcare for good reason and but i i, I love it it's it's even more meaningful than than my experience with truly and like mm. i mentioned earlier we have patients who um tattooed this company local in their bodies after we reversed the diabetes so it's it's quite emotional to to see the results of our work that's amazing. The the purpose, uh, we, we can never get away from that. It can't just be about making money. Yeah. Um, and but, I, I would say, so if there's two unsolicited yeah. advice that yeah. I, I can give to aspiring entrepreneurs, I would say one is this um, um, burn the lifeboats. And if, if you are in your 20s, this is definitely the easiest and least risk time to go and try. So that would be the one piece of advice. And then, and then the other thing would be that choose something that you unexplainably fall in love with mm. choose something that you unexplainably fall in love with and it's kind of like you know most of us all of us have been on a date with someone you know when you see it you know when you fall in love with someone you know you got i'm ready to an all-nighter i'm ready to drive my car or whatever three hours to go and meet this person again and again and again I think you absolutely need that kind of commitment and connection to what you are building. And it cannot be money. And I tell this from a 23-year founder operator experience because you get the joy and the misery from the process. And if you are, if you haven't fallen unquestionably in love with what you're doing, you will give up. You will absolutely give up. And yeah, if there's... The economic outcome, you know, at the end of it, wonderful. And it's much more likely to be there if you have the stamina and excitement to keep going through the ups and downs, which are inevitable. Uh, so th so those would be my two mm. uh, unsolicited piece of advice to anyone uh, in the process of starting a company. Well, Sammy, we received <laughs> those. Thank you so much for your time. This has been amazing. Oh, thanks so much. Thank you for listening. If you want to learn more about Zendesk for startups, check out our website, zendesk.com slash startups. Also, we're always looking to improve. So don't hesitate to email me with any feedback on how we can ask better questions, guests to target, or anything else so we can do to better help you as a founder. My email is adam.odonnell at zendesk.com.